whenever Sarah and I have had some of our close friends have their newborn children, and maybe some of you have had the misfortune of hearing me talk to you with your newborn child as well, but I love asking ridiculous questions to their children, asking what their name is, what they want to do in the future, and so on. I love introducing myself and then asking the parents some ridiculous questions like, can they not talk yet? When can they start walking? When can they start running and holding a rugby ball? Or can they not read or, or write yet? And well, so far the answer for three months or less is always no. But God willing, one day they will come to know all these things. What their name is, how to spell it, being able to play and no rules, etc., etc. They do not understand yet. But one day they will. They will develop and grow and learn. And in the process of time, they will know. And as we look at these verses, Paul prays that the Ephesians would know. Paul constantly prays that they would know God better. That is Paul's prayer constantly, that they would know God better. Paul is writing to the Ephesians to help them and encourage them to strengthen their daily walk with Jesus and to help them in their Christian life and their living. And Paul, he has begun his letter in awesome praise, as we studied last week, praising the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In verses 3 to 14, he bookends with praise, doesn't he? He begins verse 3 with praise be to the God. And he ends, verse 14, to the praise of his glory. So Paul, he follows this magnificent praise that we are chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, and secured by the Spirit. And it echoes throughout of praise. And then Paul prays. But as he prays, it is also mingled with praise because all we can do is be in awe of our God. Paul prays that we would know God better, that our Christian life would be totally anchored in Jesus. And Paul's desire is that is the case for these Ephesians, that they would know God better. So let us look at these verses together. And the first thing I'd like to highlight is Paul's pattern of prayer in verses 15 and 16. Paul is particular when he prays. And it sounds like a, bit, a little, little bit like a tongue twister there, but Paul begins his prayer off. But before he even prays, Paul hears, doesn't he? What does Paul hear? He says, for this reason. So everything that I've just written in the first 14 verses, ever since I heard about your faith in Jesus and your love for all the saints. That is what Paul hears. I'm not hearing of that news drives Paul to pray. Paul has been away from Ephesus for a while, but he has heard about their faith, but also their love for all the saints, their love for one another. That's a really good summary of the Christian faith, that we love Jesus and love each other. Paul has heard of their different lifestyle. He had witnessed it, but they must be continuing on in this distinctive lifestyle. They are living as God's children. 
It is reflected in their faith in Jesus and their love for each other. Maybe they were loving each other because people were from different backgrounds, ethnicities, or social status. And Paul knows that they should always be growing in their faith, but also with their love with one another. They were accepting each other from different backgrounds. And my really simple question is, Union Road and the Comfort Loving, how should we or could we show our love for one another that people would hear about it for Christ's glory? And prayer is clearly an evidence of love. And Paul clearly has love for these people. And Paul, he prays. But how does he pray? Paul gives thanks. Paul gives thanks to God for them because they have been blessed with these wonderful privileges in the first 14 verses. He says that I have not, in verse 16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul's pattern of prayer is that he hears of their Christian walk and he gives thanks for it. And not only does he hear and give thanks, but Paul prays repeatedly. He is constantly praying for them. He, he says he hasn't stopped giving thanks, that he is remembering them. In verse 17, I, I keep asking. Paul keeps praying. Even when you think that his needs might take over in his own mind, might think his needs are greater, but no. He continues to pray for them. And how encouraging would that be for these Ephesians to know that Paul is praying for them, what Paul is doing. And if we think of ourselves and our pattern of prayer, how different is it to Paul's here? For often we fail to give thanks to God from whom all blessings flow. Often we are ungrateful rather than reflecting lives that are marked by gratitude. Paul gives thanks when he prays for their faith and love. Do you pray giving thanks? Giving thanks for the faith others have in Jesus. Giving thanks for the love the church has for one another. For how could we be showing that love for one another this week? Maybe we could be writing that letter that we wrote a fortnight ago to others. Maybe we should pick up the phone. And also Paul prays repeatedly, doesn't he? Do you pray repeatedly? He always remembers. Do we? Because of course we don't always remember. If we pray, it is often sporadic rather than regular. It is haphazard rather than repeated. And I'm not, I'm not sure if Paul kept a list of who he prayed for. But when he prays, he always prays for Ephesus. That is maybe for us good practice to get into, to be writing down our prayers, who we are praying for and for what. And then we can change our consistent prayers for that person, that place. When we have more information, after we hear what's going on, we can pray continually, repeatedly, giving thanks for their faith in Jesus and their love for one another. Paul prays, constantly giving thanks. And it poses a challenge for us if we do this for people or not as well.
Paul really encourages them. It is an encouragement to hear that someone is praying for you. And Paul begins by giving thanks for them, for their faith in Jesus, that God has called them to be one of his children. So Paul, he doesn't jump in with a huge list for the Ephesians, like maybe we do in our prayers, with a throwaway line of how, God, how great God is, and get straight to our list. It's often something we are tempted to do. But Paul hears, he gives thanks, and he prays repeatedly, and then Paul offers up an intercessory prayer. So Paul prays that we would see, or that the Ephesians would see, and we must be praying that we would see, and others would see. In verses 17 and 18, he says, I keep asking, for Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And then in the verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. Paul wants them to see, wants them to see Jesus, to see God better and more clearly. This spirit of wisdom and revelation, it's not some mysterious gift or a special spiritual blessing received after conversion. It's not some sort of second blessing, but rather it is the work of the Holy Spirit to help God's people understand, help understand God's Word and God. For if you trust Jesus, you possess the Spirit, and He works within our hearts so that we might see, so that we might know, that we would know how great our God is, that we might know the depths of our sin and the glory of Christ, and so much more. And Paul prays that the Spirit of God would help them see, that they would open the eyes of their heart. See, sometimes before a sermon, we pray a prayer of illumination, asking God to reveal himself to us in his word as we study it. And particularly on a Sunday night, in our prayer meeting, we pray that often beforehand. And this illumination is what we call God opening our eyes to his word. Because we cannot see the truth of God's words if he doesn't open our eyes. So it's a prayer for now as we study God's word, but also as we engage with God's word ourselves and as we pray for others. Because just as Jesus had to open the eyes of his disciples God has to open our eyes to his word. In Psalm 119, you can scan through it quickly. I know it is long, but you will see the psalmist repeatedly acknowledging that he needs God's help. In verse 18, he says, Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. And then throughout it, he, the psalmist asks, the Lord to give me understanding, to direct me, to turn me, to teach me. And maybe we don't pray this as often as we should because we think that we are better than we are. We think higher of ourselves than we should because we cannot do it ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot open our eyes ourselves. We are tempted to have an inflated view of ourselves. But we 
just need to read it and we'll understand it, but we need a humble heart. We need to be praying that we would see that God would grant us wisdom and understanding, that God would open our eyes and our hearts to his word. Paul is not asking uh, the Father to give these Ephesians the Holy Spirit as if the Holy Spirit hasn't reached them yet, but rather he's praying that the Holy Spirit would work in their hearts. And this Holy Spirit, Paul says, he wants him to work in these people's hearts so that they would know him better. Paul prays that God would, by his Holy Spirit, give them a better knowledge of himself. So we need to be praying that we would see, but we also need to be praying that we know, that we would know God better. Now remember that Paul has been in Ephesus for nearly three years, definitely more than two, and while he was teaching, some of these folk nearly have a degree in theology already, teaching for two years from Paul. And yes, people were coming and going to and from the city, but Paul must have went deeper. Paul wants them to go deeper into God's word. He wants them to know more and to know God more. Because so many don't want to ask a difficult question or to dive into God's word. Are you willing to learn from God's word? For some, we like to put our head in the sand as if ignorant is bliss and not get beyond or walk further in our faith. Paul says no. He says we need to wrestle with God's word to understand it. Yes, we need our eyes opened by God's Spirit in that illumination. But there's also a responsibility in our part to invest and to pray and to look to God's Word. You cannot go and experience the city lights of Times Square in New York if you don't go. And we cannot see more or understand more the extent of God's grace towards us if we don't go to his word. Paul says that all those who know God need to know him better. In my Bible reading notes over the last number of weeks, we've been working through the letter to the Ephesians. And earlier on this week, it had Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. And you will know the, the words will be very familiar about uh, speaking of milk and solid foods in regard to our faith. That the Lord does not want us just to be content with milk, the, you know, the basics of the Christian faith, but that we should seek to grow and know more of God and our faith. Yes, there's a time where we are spiritual infants, that we need milk, but we're not like that all of our days. But in time, with study, we would grow and no more of the solid food, no more of God. The Ephesians need to fully comprehend and understand the greatness of God. And so Paul's intercession is that they would know by the Holy Spirit's help, God. Why does Paul pray that they grow in knowledge? Well, it's not because he wanted his church to know, know more than John's church, maybe. Paul doesn't want them to know so that they're really good at the sword drill. Paul do, 
doesn't want them to know maybe different facts to impress their mates with. But Paul wants them to know God. He wants them to know God more so that they'll be transformed by knowing God more. But what exactly does Paul pray that they know? You'll see that he highlights three things here for us in verses 18 and 19. He wants to be praying that we would know hope, firstly. The hope to which he has called you. This hope is what Paul wants Christians to know. It is not the wishful thinking that we would use in our language today, but it is of this certain truth that is what hope is in Bible. It is the joyful and confident hope of eternal salvation to which he has called us. Again, echoes of God choosing us that he calls us. And this is a certain hope for the believer because Paul's just said that we have been sealed by the Spirit. So as a consequence, the more we know of this hope, we will be living a life that has a confident hope that is unique to this world. Despite the hardship we face or the threat of COVID-19, we live with a confident hope. God calls us to live a different way of life because of this glorious hope he has called us, this future hope in Jesus. We have a hope outside ourselves of Christ's resurrection power, that Christ will reign over all things. We have an inward confidence through his work on the cross. And Paul prays that we would know this hope more by the power of God's Spirit working in us. You might have heard people say, oh, my best days are behind me. Or maybe you're speaking about someone else and you will say that their best days are behind them. Or they're past it, in a sporting sense, maybe. But as Christians, that is never the case. The case is always our best days are always ahead of us. Our best days are always ahead of us. Because we know this hope that we have in Jesus. That we have salvation through him, and that saturates every part of our life. When others try to escape from reality by throwing themselves up box sets or alcohol or family or work, Paul prays that we would know hope, but also that we would know riches. That we would know riches. Paul prays that we would know this because it gives us a great security, but a sense of worth. That God would give us riches. We know that. We have that hope of eternity. But the other side of the same coin, you might feel unworthy, but Christ makes us worthy. Because read that sentence, that phrase again. Paul prays that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The riches of God's glorious inheritance in his people. God's people have an inheritance through Christ, and God has the inheritance of his people. God actually considers us to be his inheritance, his promised blessing to himself. 
And that is where we, we started earlier in Isaiah 43. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. We are God's treasured possession. We are God's inheritance. We can look past our own situations, beyond our trials and difficulties, to the riches we have in Christ. That is our hope. But Paul also wants us to know in our hearts this truth, that we are God's treasure. We are God's treasure. We have an incredible value to God. We get glimpses of that in God's word, maybe in the parables of the lost uh, son, uh, coin, and sheep, but also in Christ's death. God has an incredible value on his chosen people, on Christ's church, on Christ's bride, that Jesus would sacrificially love his bride by dying on the cross for our sin. We are chosen rescued and secured by God. And Paul prays that we would know the value God has on us. God's plan for us to be reconciled to him, that through his exceptional grace, we would be made his treasures. Let me pray for each other. Pray that we would know God treasures us. Whether it be the crown jewels, which are always kept, secu well, set, kept secure in the Tower of London, unless it's guarded by Johnny English, or Fort Knox, where the United States keeps all the gold. They are secure. They are safe. No one can get anywhere near the precious treasure, and it will always remain there unless it is used for other purposes. That is us. We are God's treasure. We are his crown jewels. We are his gold. We are secure. Not even Indiana Jones can break in and steal the treasure, but we are safe. We are locked up tight and secure because we are God's treasure. And then Paul also prays that we would know power his incomparably great power for us who believe. And Paul will give examples which we'll think of in a moment, but do you remember the context of what's going on in the city of Ephesus? What was popular in that city and region? It was magic and sorcery and evil powers. This is where these Ephesians are coming from. Many of them might have been caught up in magic, in worshipping Artemis and other gods. Their lives were dark, but Christ saved them. The people in the city were in fear of these spiritual warfare forces going on around them. And we got a glimpse of that in Acts 19. The people believed in the name of Jesus because of the demon-possessed man. And Paul will go on to assure them that God's power is supreme over all their enemies, our enemies. It's like those verses in Romans 8 that we all know. And Paul prays that they would know the power of God. And we'll see throughout this letter of God's power 
as he works in our lives and how we need it. We need to know power. And Paul shows us this power of God. Paul wants us to know the comprehensive victory Jesus has. And Paul takes us to three places where we know and see God's power. So the the power of God is seen in the resurrection of Jesus. We need to pray that we would know that. The empty tomb demonstrates the power of God, the resurrection, resurrection power. And because Christ lives, well, we too will experience that resurrection power that overcomes sin and death. That power is at work within us. Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection. God's power has conquered sin and death. And we can be sure that God's power is able to overcome sin in us. This is saving power that we need to know. And that's what we see. An example of his mighty strength and power in the resurrection of Jesus. And then Paul points us to another place where we see the power of God. In the reign of Jesus. This wonderful power of God is at work in Christ and he is above all rulers and forces in this world. Paul wants them to see the comprehensive victory of Jesus, the comprehensive power of Jesus. Look at verses 20 and 21. So, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given in the present age and the one to come. Paul says Jesus is greater than all, above all demons and satanic powers, above every imaginable position on earth. Jesus is the one who reigns. Everything is under his feet. The famines, the wars, the governments, the pandemics. We might wonder at his reign and his rule and his victory. But despite what we think and what we think we are seeing in the world, Paul wants us to know the reign of Jesus. He wants us to know that we do not have to fear the enemy because Christ is victorious and everything is under his feet. And then finally, the power of God is seen in the church of Jesus. Christ rules over the earth, but Christ has a unique relationship with his church. Christ is the head, the church is the body. And we have maybe these confusing words that the church is the fullness of him. Jesus is changing the world for good, for the good of his church and through his church. He is filling his church so that his purposes would be accomplished through mission, for example. And the power of God is in the church. The church shows the glory of Christ to the world. The head, it cannot be separated from the body. So we know we are secure in Jesus. Nothing can change that for his church. For the power of God that raised Christ from the dead 
the power of God as he rules over all things, including his church, we know that he brings people to enjoy him forever. The church complements Christ. How amazing is that? That what is a head without its body and what is a body without a head? It's nothing. Christ wants his church. How much does Christ love his church? That without his people, it's almost as if something is missing. That is how much Jesus loves us. For what is a groom without his bride? That is Christ and the church. We need to pray that we would know God better, that we would know his power, that we would know his riches, and we would know the hope. Gary Miller says this about knowing God. So knowing God is not a warm, fuzzy feeling when we, when we close our eyes or sing particular songs. It is a soaring reality that encompasses every part of our minds and hearts so that we know and share in and delight in God's love. That is why Paul wanted them to know God better, that they might delight in God's love, that they might know they are treasured and that Jesus is their Savior. And to know God, we need to be in Jesus so that the Spirit will open our eyes. Paul has a magnificent prayer here, one that we should be maybe using before we open our Bibles or before we come to worship. And we see reflected in it that we do not pray for even each other as we should. We often only pray in specific crises and response and problems. And that is right and good to do so, but we also need to be continually and purposefully praying praising God for the faith we have in Jesus, for the faith of the saints, for each other's faith, and praying that we would be growing spiritually. So let us be thankful and regular in our prayers for each other. Why not spend a moment praying with each other, giving thanks for the faith of the saints, for the church, those missionaries we know, let our love for one another be known. Let us show our love. Let us pray and give thanks for one another. Let us send a letter. Let us make a phone call. Pray over the phone with one another. Send someone a text. Let us show love that people might hear it, not as a one-off token, but repeatedly, all that Christ's glory and power might be shown through his church. Let us respond to God's word and let us pray together. Glorious Father, we want to praise you for your work of salvation in La Comfort and Union Road. We give thanks for the Christians in our church family, those who are in their baby steps of faith, to those who are experienced walkers with Jesus, for those who are young in age, 
yet have a strong desire in their hearts to learn about Jesus and to love him more. To our older members who are being comforted by your spirit. Glorious Father, we give thanks for their faith in the Lord Jesus. We praise you that they have been called by you, that they are yours and they are treasured by you. Father, we give thanks for the love we have for one another, even in these days in a very practical way in serving one another. But Father, help us to love each other more, to get beyond just acts of service, but for each of us to have an expression of love towards one another. And we pray that as we study, that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes so that we would know you better. And we pray also that you would open unbelievers' eyes so they would know the glorious hope we have in Jesus. And Father, we thank you for answered prayer over the years, for opening unbelievers' eyes so that they would believe. And Father, we give thanks for what we have heard this week. We give thanks after hearing of new faith in Mayo Street City Mission. We praise you that you have opened the eyes so that they might know you. And Lord, we pray for the others out in mission as well, for those who are able to avail of technology. We pray that there would be an engagement with the local community, that even now, as we watch, that others, as people listen or watch your word preached throughout this law, throughout this world, that the Holy Spirit would grant them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they would know Jesus. Triune God, help us to know you better. Help us to love one another more so that our faith in Jesus, our love for him and each other would be known all for his glory so that he might be glorified through the church here in Mid-Ulster and throughout the world. And we pray in Jesus. Our Saviour's name. Amen.